Um, last week we started a new series called Family, and um, we are going to stay on this for a couple of more weeks uh, today, and then I believe two more weeks after this. And so um, we talked last week about a few foundational principles of marriage. We talked about a lot last week. Um, but we uh, brought up just a few strong things, kind of boiled to the surface, and I want to revisit those for just a minute. Uh, we talked about a happy marriage is the union between two good forgivers, like two people who really know how to forgive each other, are practicing it, are growing in this area. And then the second thing we talked about was that falling in love requires a pulse, but staying in love requires a plan. And we talked about how their uh, marriages uh, require a strategy of us, that any of us, because of biology, can fall for someone. But longevity of relationship and love requires a plan and requires a strategy. And then we ended uh, by talking about Solomon and the great teaching he did on guarding our heart. And he said, listen, above all else, meaning above everything else that I've talked about and said, I want to uh, tell you to guard your heart because everything you do is going to flow from that, okay? And so um, as we go into this morning, um, I am actually taking uh, this entire message to talk to people today who are unmarried, who are single people. And so um, a lot of times we, we talk to married people. And we don't realize that there is a lot of single, unmarried people in our midst. As a matter of fact, about half of the adults who attend our church are single. And so if we love people, we got to stop and talk to that particular group. And um, as married people, we need to be encouraging and be in prayer with them and loving them and lifting them up because there's all kinds of ways uh, that someone can be single and is single or has found themselves single. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Oftentimes when we think of powerful people in Scripture, we have a tendency to think about power couples. We kind of just put it together, and we, as, as we read, we start to see these connections of, of powerful people. And so we see Adam and Eve and all that God did through them and how even some of their choices we're living with now is just this, a very powerful couple. Abraham and Sarah, obviously a big power couple. You had Mary and Joseph, Ruth and Boaz, but, and so on. But the Bible is full of single people who still made a huge impact in, in the kingdom. And so as we look at, at being single and we look at, at singleness, um, you got to look at Mary and Martha. You got to look at John the Baptist. You got to look at prophets like Elijah and Elisha. You got to look at Jesus. You got to look at the Apostle Paul, who was proudly single, and he was vocal about the advantages of being single. He was like, Hey, listen, I found a niche. And so I want to talk to y'all about this. And so Paul frequently wrote about being single. When we talk about uh, facts and what's what's real in our culture, let me give you some of this. 125 million adults in the U.S. are currently unmarried. That's approximately half of the adult population. I've already told you that about half of our adults at our church are unmarried. 64% of adults between 18 and 29 are single. Unmarried people make up 44% of the U.S. workforce. 
And so I just want to begin by giving some just rational, foundational thoughts on singleness and to start off with just some different types of unmarried people. So I'm going to give you three of these really quick, and then we'll get into more meat of of this message. The first type of singleness is this, intentionally single. So there are people who are intentionally single. They want to be single, have very little, if any, interest in marriage. And so they are intentionally saying, this is who I am. I choose to be single. I'm intentional about it. And so um, there are those who were made by God to live happily ever after as a single person. And they have what the Bible calls a gift of singleness, okay? So 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul is teaching on this to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about his own singleness, and he says this, I wish everyone could get along without marrying just as I do. Now, this is a big statement, okay? He said, I wish, I wish everybody could do what I'm doing, he said, to be single, to be able to devote their life to the ministry and the work of God. And so he, he goes on to say, but we are not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. And some of you, you don't aspire to be married, but the problem is you've been married for 10 years now, okay? Uh, Marcus Brown, our Fort Smith pastor, was talking to him yesterday, and he said, listen, I think what I'm going to say right there is that some of you are like a fly trapped in a car. You don't know how you got in there, but you want out, okay? <laughs> so, but I, said, I don't know if I'm going to share that one or not. Some singles are always looking for a potential person to go out with. It's like no matter what the social scenario, they always have their radar up. They're looking around. You see them at the mall. You say, I see you come to church. And during worship, you got your hands up. You're looking around. You see somebody. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Okay? I see you. I know who you are. Okay? But there are those who are intentionally single, and when you're intentionally single, you are not looking for the intimacy and the, and, and the covenant relationship there, uh, but you are looking for friendship. You are looking for God-given relationship. You're looking for connection and accountability and, and friendship. So that's intentionally single. Then there is situationally single. There are some of you who have found yourself single and maybe you didn't want to find yourself single, but you're there. And you want to be married. You're certainly marryable, but you find yourself going, I'm situationally by myself, okay? And for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out yet. Maybe you haven't found the right person. Maybe you look and you've got a long list of values and characteristics and things that you want in a, in a mate because you feel like that's what you're most compatible with. And so you're looking, but you're not finding. And so you're single. Maybe you'd like to be married, but you haven't been asked yet. You're dating, 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 no question. And so you would like to be married, but no one's asked. Maybe you've been divorced. You find yourself situationally single. Maybe you've been widowed. You find yourself situationally single. But listen, loneliness can hurt. 
but don't be pressured to marry the first person who shows you attention. Meaning this, don't be desperate for somebody because desperation makes you do crazy things, okay? There is a story that you never want to tell your grandkids, and it goes like, like this. Nana, why did you marry Papa? Well, I was getting older, and he was my last option. He was kind of like the stale chips in the pantry, you know they're going to taste bad, but you eat them anyway. Okay? You never, you never want to be on the tail end of that story, right? And so there's situationally single for whatever a million reasons why you find yourself single. Third, there is preferentially single. You prefer it. This group of single people could be married if they wanted to, but they prefer not to. So for whatever reason, whatever phase of life you're in, whatever stage you're in, you look at your life and you say, I may want to get married, but right now I prefer that I'm single. Right now at this season, this place, this time in my life, I want to be single. And again, that, that can play into a lot of scenarios too. People can choose to be unmarried for right reasons, and they can choose to be unmarried for wrong reasons. Let me give you some examples. Some people will find themselves preferentially single because they have a fear of failing in marriage. They look around, they see their parents, they see their grandparents, they see good friends, they read, they watch the media, they see what's going on with marriages, and they look at it and say, no, thank you. And so they prefer to be single because they're scared of taking a leap and failing at it. It's a fear of failure. Some people don't do it because they have a fear of being hurt, and they get the gist of relationships. The closer I get to someone, the probability of me being hurt by them increases. Because the more we get to know each other, the more we tear down walls. The more we put shields down, the more we take the gloves off. The more we remove masks, the more genuineness, the more authenticity. You begin to see the real me. I begin to see the real you. And where there is genuineness, it gets past all the Hollywood movie hype junk and gets right down to the core of relationship. And some people go, I don't think I want to go there. And maybe you've been there before and you've been really close or you've been in love before and it just, you were hurt. The end result for you was pain. So you said, I prefer right now not to marry. Then there's a fear of adapting to somebody else's life, okay? Where obviously, statistically, we are waiting later in life to be married. And so when you, I, I got married when I was 27, and some people are waiting 30, 35, 40, 45, and so on to get married. And when I was 27, I, I, I was used to being by myself. I had, a, I had an agenda. I had my house a certain way. I had certain routines. And, and then I got married, and it's adapting. It's, it's learning. Now, now you got somebody there all the time. Somebody's else's clothes are in your closet, and you go into your bathroom one day, so it's like a makeup bomb went off, and you, you see just girl stuff everywhere. 
It's just adapting, and some people go, "I'm not about that." You know, I, I don't, I don't want to have the uh, this adaptation of of getting used to somebody else. Some people simply don't want more responsibility. I'm good by myself. If I if I take on more, then this is what's going to happen. See, you and I are going to fall in love, and then we're going to get married, and I'm going to be adapting to you, and you're going to be adapting to me. And the next natural phase is that you and I are going to start talking about kids. And now not only are we adapting to each other, now we're going to talk about raising other people that we've made. And so it has fear for you, and you're like, I just I want to prolong. I, I don't want it. And some people want physical intimacy, but they don't want commitment. So they wait. I don't want to marry somebody. Okay, I'm good with physical intimacy, but I don't want the, the, the covenant relationship part of it. Okay, so these are all three stages of, of being single. But let me, let me speak to you as a single unmarried person and encourage you in the Word today. The first thing I want to talk to you about is this. I want you to know that you can celebrate every stage of your life, every single one. And whether you're here this morning and you feel like God is late, you're here this morning and you feel like God has given you um, a, a promise but you haven't seen it come yet, or you you feel like, you know, I know that I, I, I may want to be this person that is just never gets married, whatever the situation is, you need to be able to celebrate it. And so whether you're 22 or 72, you need to be able to look at your life and where it is right now and say, God, I'm going to celebrate my life and I'm going to give you praise for where I am right now. My father found himself situationally single. He and my mom had been married for 52 years and suddenly she passed away from cancer. And so my father finds himself after five decades of marriage, and I, I begin to tell him, Dad, you need to get used to being you again. You need to celebrate you and what God wants to do in you and the fact that you've got years to live and be full of life and full of, of joy. And he's 72 years old. But he's got to celebrate life at every single, every single area. So I don't want those of you who attend our church as adults, approximately half of you, to feel like you're not valued or to feel like you, you have to have your head down because you're not married yet or to feel like people don't respect you because something happened to walk around and go, I'm a single mom, I'm a single dad, I got divorced, I lost a spouse. And for some reason, people to look into your life as a voyeur from a cheap seat and, and, and feel like they've devalued you because it's not true. And so I want you to hear this morning that God loves you, he's with you, he's still on your team, and he's still got a plan for you, whether that is to remarry or to remain single and be completely satisfied with it. Desperate people, though, steer clear of desperation because desperate people make terrible choices. When I was in high school, there was this guy named Greg Greg was 20 years old in the 10th grade. He had to shave every single day because he was a man. He drove an old rusty El Camino, and for some reason he always smelled like cabbage and cigarettes, but he would always cover it up with Dracar Noir, which he carried in his coat pocket. Some of y'all are still wearing Dracar Noir. You need to move on to a new fragrance. And Greg could play sports and... The girls were just like, oh, Greg, 
They were looking at it. All of us guys would stand, and we would look at Greg and look at them, and we would say, what's wrong with them? And more importantly, what's wrong with us? And Greg ended up having children with several girls in our school, and he didn't want to be a dad to any of them. And I looked on his Facebook page last week. He still doesn't want to be a dad to any of them. Listen, when you get desperate, hear, hear my heart today. When you get desperate, Greg looks good to you. You start to look at someone whose life plan is less than what you feel like God has, has promised you. You start to look at people and go, well, maybe I need to lower my expectation. You look at people around you and possible people to be with and you say, maybe, maybe I need to not have God's best, but maybe, maybe second place or third place, and then I can coach him up. Maybe that's what I should do. Desperate people do some desperate things. But the Bible says it is clearly accepted to be married, and it's accepted to be unmarried. There are benefits to both, and there are responsibilities to both. Let me tell you what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm, I'm going to combine verse 11 and 13 here to make, to make a point. In verse 11, listen to this. If you walk away with something, walk away with this. In verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Okay, this is good. He's saying, and, and if you read that in context, he's basically going to start giving some examples. Now, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, then I'm going to make some up. But Paul says this. He's basically saying, listen, I've been rich and I've been poor, and I know how to do both. And I've been around crowds of people, and I've been by myself, and I know how to do both. I can be content. And I've been full of food, and I've been hungry, and I can be content in both. I know it's like to sleep in a great bed. I know it's like to sleep in the street. I can do both. I've been happy. I've been sad. And I know how to be content in both. And this is so solid because it speaks to every single one of us in this room, whether you're married or, or you're single, whether you are going to be single forever or you want to be married one day and you're in the process of waiting it out. To be content in every single area. It means this that I can have happiness and joy in no, no matter what season I'm in. And here's, here's why. Because he couples it. I'm, I'm going to couple it with, with verse 13. Because he says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. When I think about these things on my own, I get confused and I get worried and I get frustrated. I get discouraged. But when I lean into Christ, strength comes back to me. And I know that my life can be full, and it can be, have a lot of joy, and it can have a lot of happiness in spite of where I'm at. And so I'm going to be content in whatever season of life that I'm in. Happiness can be a choice. You guys stay with me. Second Chronicles 15, 15, it says this. All the people of Judah were happy because they had made this covenant. Now, when you drill down on this word covenant, it plays out to mean choice. So I want to read that again with that in mind. All the people of Judah were happy because they made the choice with all their heart. And they took delight in worshiping 
and he gave them peace on every side. The people of Judah said, listen, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to worship God in happiness no matter what's going on around me, and because of that, the Lord gave them peace. Now watch this, Jeremiah chapter 29, 28. The context is this. The people of God have been captured, and they're in Babylonian captivity. So they are no longer in their promised land. They have been taken into captivity. But watch, Jeremiah 29, 28. He sent this message to us in Babylon, meaning in captivity. And he says this to them. It will be a long time. Therefore, build houses, settle down, plant gardens. What he was saying to them is, listen, if I'm being really truthful to you, you're going to be in captivity for a while. So plant a house, plant a garden, put some life in it, have some joy where you are. And maybe that's the word that some of you need to hear because you're so discouraged by where you are in life. And God is saying, listen, no matter where you are, no matter what season, no matter what phase, put some life in it. Build a house, plant a garden, pour some life, have some fun, be grown up, go out with friends, laugh a lot, hug a lot, live a lot, experience life. Let my presence be in your life and let your cup overflow regardless of who you're with or who you're not with. Terry Nance used to always make this statement. He ended up writing a book to pastors called Bloom Where You're Planted. And it's basically saying this no matter where you are, if you're on a mountaintop, if you're in a valley, if you're in drought, if you're in feast, if you're in famine, it doesn't matter. Bloom right there where you are. Okay? Psalm 118.24, we all know it, but he says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Man, let us rejoice and be glad. Not... This is, is a day when everything is all together and, and exactly the way you want it. So now give God. No, he said right now, this day, this moment, this season, this, this time in your life, this is the day he's made. Rejoice and be glad in it. The second thing I want to talk to you about is this. If you're single and unmarried in this place, you're going to have to have some strong conviction. Okay? Now I'm going to talk to you from a pastor's heart today. And I'm going to be bold without offending you, okay? So let me just talk to you. The divorce rate in America is dropping. If you've been following this in any way, um, there's a ton of data on this right now, but divorce rates are dropping. But it's not because marriages are sustaining. It's not because we're getting married and we have strong marriage. It's because people are, are cohabitating. So they've, they've said, I don't want to get married. I just want to live with you. Okay, so I, I, want, I want to play out everything as if we are married, but I don't, I don't want to get married. All right, so I, I'm not going to push forward with the covenant part. And so the best place, I think, to have this conversation is in church, and here's why. Because God created life, and he knows how it works. He created you and I, and he knows how we work. And he created marriage, and he knows how it works. And he created family, and he knows how it works. And he knows he created physical intimacy, and he knows how it works. And he knows that children can come out of that, that love and that experience with each other and how important a family unit is, and he knows how it works. And so there has to come this point where you and I just trust him. 
Scripture is so clear when it says, listen, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. And it's, it's God's way of saying this. You're never going to get all of this because I'm smarter than you. And you're never going to get it. And so you're just going to have to trust me by faith that I know what I'm talking about. And so if we want to really be followers of Jesus, we got to have some conviction in this. Okay? We really only have two, two choices. Again, hear my heart today. We can either listen to our creator or we can listen to culture. We can listen to our, our creator that says, I know it. I'm the author of all of it. I made it. I understand it all the way down to the core of it. I know what I'm doing. I'm the one who put it all to, together. Or we can listen to culture say, it's okay. It's all right. It doesn't matter. The Bible is full of principle, but you don't have to live by it. It's just a su suggestion to you. Listen, God is a lot more cool and hip than we think he is. And so you you just do whatever you got to do, baby, and we'll let it all, we'll let the chips fall where they all land. And, and, and you got you got one of two choices, creator or culture. And so we got to have some strong conviction here. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, God wants you to live pure, so keep yourself from sexual promiscuity. Let me show you this. I got a triangle here. And as followers of Jesus, it's very important that our foundational peace be the spiritual component of our lives. Because as followers of Jesus, we are looking through the lens constantly of what does God want me to do with this? With the time that I've been given, with my relationships, with my career, with my friendships, what am I supposed to do with this time, Lord, and it, it becomes our, our spiritual foundation. And then the second piece that is really big to God is our relationships, our friendships, who we're living life with, who we're talking to, who we're celebrating with, whose shoulder we're crying on, and all of those things. And, and, and this, this becomes very important in, our, in our, our, our faith journey. And then the third part of that is our physical intimacy, and for lack of better terms, God is saying, listen, when you love me and you're in love with a person, there's a bonus. And it's physical intimacy. And the problem is, though, here's what happens. Here's what our culture has done. They've said, listen, if it feels good, it's good. And if it feels right, it's right. And if it seems right, it's right. If it seems good, it's good. And that's not accurate. So what's happened is, We've tried to start with this and try to build on it. And when we try to put spiritual foundation on top of physical intimacy, it does not work. Because it's out of God's order. And so as people of faith, we have to choose. This is, this is the hard part. We have to choose. Am I really going to believe what the Bible says about this? Because if, if I do, it's got to be in this order. 
I got to serve God, love God, be full of God. Then I'm going to be led to some man. I'm going to fall in love with him, and I'm going to have a marriage covenant with him. And then because of that, I'm going to experience physical intimacy with him. We're going to bear children. We're going to live life together. We're going to grow old together. We're, we're going to fall in love, and then we're going to have a plan for staying in love. But when you start with this, you can't circle back and go, God, I want you, I want, I want you to now come into this. Okay? God is saying, listen, there, there's an order, and I've made it this way. And if you don't think God is, is orderly, read Genesis. Read Leviticus. Read Exodus. Read about how he put things in motion. On the first day, there was a second day, there was a third day, there was a fourth day, fifth day. Tell the priest to go in and tell them to wear this and this and this, and don't, don't, don't look that way. And you can spill this blood, but don't spill that blood. It, it's, it's an, he's an orderly God. And this is the way that he wants it done. Him, somebody else, physical intimacy. Third, let me end with this one. Take advantage, full advantage of being single. Okay, I, I want to take this from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says, then I'm going to land this. He says, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how to please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife, and his interest is divided. Likewise, an unmarried woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. And he says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Okay, keep in mind, he's, he's not trying to tell you what to do but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. I think this scripture right here is very clear that there is a moment of time that unmarried single people can take full advantage of being unmarried and single. That you can jump on ministry opportunity. That single people have a great opportunity, again, for lack of better term, to marry the ministry and the mission of the church and do something amazing. If you are here today and you are single and unmarried, you should be burning up the mission field. You should be going on missions trips like crazy. Many people have told me, and you've probably even felt this way before in your own life, and this is, just, this is just being candid. Many people have said, in my single years is when I felt closest to God. And Paul calls it common sense. He says, listen, there's going to be a day when you can no longer have undivided attention. You're going to get married. You're going you're, you're to fall in love. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to have a job. You're going to have a mortgage. And then you got to learn all over again, where, how does God play out in this family? But you got a moment in time being single. Matthew 19, 12 says, Some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of God. Okay. But let me close with this. Years ago, Robbie and I were living in, in Virginia, I was, started grad school there, and we were serving a church there. I had been speaking for with the weekend in the Springfield, Missouri area, so I was flying back in to Richmond, and um, there were some there were some storms going on, and um, we got close to the airport, and uh, we got it caught up in a holding pattern. 
if you've flown at all, you know that could mean a thousand things. But I noticed that the plane was banking left and banking left and banking left, and we were just going in circles over and over and over. And people start getting shifty. They want to know what's going on. Is there a problem? Landing gear okay? Airport okay? Are we lost? What's going on? And so the captain comes on. He says, listen, um, this is your captain. And uh, I've put us in a holding pattern because there's a storm just beneath us. And according to the radar, it's going to blow over the next 10, 12, 15 minutes. So I'm just circling. It's going to go right under us. And then I'm going to land. And um, it's going to make our, our landing a lot easier by being in the holding pattern. I want to take that story and I, I want you to pull it down into what we've been talking about this morning. Because some of you feel like you're in a holding pattern. And, and, and you come to church and the other half of the adults are married and they have kids and they're talking about married lives. And if you're that person who's not intentionally single, you're situationally single or just preferentially single, then you can look at married people and kids and, and sometimes get envious and jealous and discouraged. And you feel like you're in a holding pattern. When am I going to find the right person? I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. My first marriage was a train wreck, and now I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful about my second marriage and holding pattern. But we got to trust the captain on this because he's trying to work it out that we have the best landing possible. And even though we're eager to hit the ground and get on with our life, Sometimes you need to be appreciative for the holding pattern and be thankful for it. And I would go so far as to give God praise for it. God, thank you that you care enough about me that you want to land me in the best place that you possibly can. So I don't want you to be discouraged today, and I don't want you to feel devalued, and I don't want you to feel like you've just heard a guy get on a soapbox and, and talk harshly. If I didn't love you, I'd tell you to do whatever you want to do. But because I want us to be good followers of Jesus, we need to be okay with being single, and we need to have conviction doing it. And we need to give God permission to be God. And if he says, wait, hold, we got to trust him that he knows what he's doing. All right. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning.